Hello, welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I am Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about House of Hades, chapters 9 through 16. I always, I had this problem, I guess, like frustration with this book when I read it the first time is that the Percy and Annabeth chapters are very short compared yeah. to the others. Well, also, like, I feel like Leo and um, who's the other person in this? Hazel? There's right? also like a, a Jason one or two. Yeah. They Random. tend to just be up to shenanigans. It's they like, are. <laughs> Percy and Annabeth are fighting for their lives and <laughs> these other guys are just having little shenanigans <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> They're having fun side quests. <laughs> yeah, like, they're so ridiculous. I think they're trying to, like, he's trying to sprinkle in, like, some little bit lighthearted, mm-hmm. a little bit reminiscent of old PJO stuff. Yeah. And it keeps us on our toes, because we're, like, get such little glimpses of Percy and Annabeth, and then it's like, nope, back to the others, and you're like, no, what's going on? And then it's, I mean, it's also interesting, because you now you finally have character development that mm-hmm. isn't centered around what is Percy doing? It's yeah. like, okay, it's centered around them trying to actually do this quest rather than where is Percy? Who are these new characters? Mm-hmm. Super fun. But uh, just to summarize, so you guys know what we're getting into, we have um, some good old-fashioned Rick dreaming um, <laughs> nightmare tools that he loves to use and some little dwarves and Erin has going to tell us all about a character that we talked about in one of our bonus episodes. Woo, woo, woo. So I get to start us off because I get Leo's shenanigans. So that's <laughs> Leo chapters 9 through 12. So chapter 9 starts off with Leo spending all night just wrestling with the Athena Parthenos in his ship. Basically, he's convinced that it has some sort of secret switch or power. He's like, there has to be something more to this statue, since basically two of his friends sacrificed their lives for it. Leo's research tells him that the statue is made from hollow wood covered in ivory and gold, and it's surprisingly intact for being like ages old and stolen from the Parthenon years ago. And he's assuming magic is keeping it together. That's interesting, because that's like the original one that burned down. You'd think they'd have learned not to build it with wood, but okay. (laughs) Well, if it's going to be a replica, that's why they made so many. They're just like, wood is cheap, it's easy, and we'll just replace it. It's like the wooden giant wooden goat that they get built every year that gets burned down like seven years in a row. What What goat? There's a giant wooden goat. I remember when I was like a freshman in college, my roommate, I sent it like a like a link, a newspaper article about it to my roommate, and she became so obsessed with it, it like the picture of it hung in our dorm room. Oh, where does this happen? Oh god, I like give me a second. It's the Gavel Yule Goat in Sweden. Oh. Okay, it's a 42... okay. Oh, it's a Christmas thing? Yes, and so it the headline that I sent her is basically unsurprisingly the Yule Goat burns down for the seventh year in a row or something like that. (laughs) And actually the first time it never burnt down was 2020. And guess what (gasps) happened? Oh my gosh. The goat cursed us. Someone needs to burn the goat. (laughs) I know. I think it did burn down. They, I think everyone actually believed that to be true. So they burnt it down Hmm. this year or like last year in 2021. 
know. Too late. <laughs> it's already happened. <laughs> anyway, so basically all Leo knows is that Annabeth told him that the statue is the key for defeating Gaia, so there must be something. Like, it has to do something. Now, if he had designed the statue, he definitely would have added, like, ninja moves or, like, <laughs> laser shooting out of its eyes, but it seems to not really have anything. Like, nothing is standing out. So he goes to the heart of the ship, he gets cozy, and he goes to bed. So you know what that means. Dream time. (laughs) This is one of the few dreams, and I wrote this in my notes, that I actually feel like is how people dream. It feels like a proper Mm. nightmare rather than either a memory or just Percy just eating popcorn watching like evil people (laughs) monologue. Yeah. So Leo's dream is that he's in his mother's shop running for his life. Something's chasing him and he hears Gaia's voice telling him to stop running and meet her favorite son. Which I really strongly believe she says that about all of her children. They're her favorite until Percy defeats them. (laughs) Yeah. Like she definitely tells them all they're her favorite. Because isn't Kronos like by storyline her favorite son because she makes him king by letting him kill like Daddy Sky or whatever. I don't know. I guess Daddy Sky. <laughs> Father Sky. It's Father, Father Sky. Sky to you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> We're actually keeping this very professional. This is a serious <laughs> podcast. <laughs> anyway, so she says that's his favorite son, and that when Leo blasts the colossal being that's cloaked in darkness that's chasing him, it just like hmm. the darkness consumes his flames. And Gaia says, my son does will not allow any fires tonight. He is the void that consumes all fire and the silence that consumes all speech. And I was like, until, to, like, you know, in two weeks when he dies, when these heroes <laughs> beat him, like a bunch of teenagers kick his ass. Anyway. Oh, imagine someone calling you a void. <laughs> He's just so a void. void. <laughs> just like a void of anything. It's cool. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Leo runs and suddenly finds himself at camp now, but it's like horrible. It's burnt down. It's everything's on fire or like it's already burned. He sees the only living people, the Romans, including Octavian, and he runs over to them. Octavian turns around his eyes are closed and his expression is like blank. And Gaia obviously speaks through him saying this cannot be prevented. The Romans are already on their way to camp and nothing will stop them. Leo runs to the hill and is met by a woman who kind of looks like the Athena Parthenos come to life. She tells Leo to make a choice. He is cornered. The void is coming behind him. He doesn't really have anywhere to go. He can jump off the cliff, but that's suicide. Or he can go to this weird cave in the corner, which he knows in the dream world is the home of the dead. And if he goes in there, he will never come back. This lady is crazy looking and she tells him that jumping is the only way to escape. She tells him that she can kill him in a dream because she has the power of her sorceress. And the void man is coming closer and he's a, Leo's about to die when he's awoken by Jason. Jason tells them that they made it through the mountains and um, are almost to... <laughs> How do you say this? Wait, where is it? Oh, baloney. It is baloney. Okay. Yeah, like, right? I'm going to say baloney and everyone's going to Well, now I'm like a little bit insecure about it. <laughs> Because that's, that's what the children in the cartoon say. Like, it's not, like, a real thing. <laughs> the pron- correct pronunciation is Bologna. But it's common to say Bologna instead. 
Huh. Experts attribute this to Anglicization. So the basically the Yes, the the English people made it baloney, but it was Bologna Bologna. Bologna is how Italians say it. Well, we should honor the Italians. Italian listeners, please correct us. I know. <laughs> so they're almost to Bologna. And Nico has some new information to share with them all. And that's when we get to chapter 10. Leo designed the mess hall where they're all meeting to have a live feed of the camp. He thought it was a great idea at the time. It's like cozy with campfires in the background. But it just makes everyone depressed to see the coziness of it all while they're fighting for their lives on the ship. Also, like, what if they get attacked? Are they just going to be watching all their friends die? It's actually a Twitch stream. They're actually making some money off of it. (laughs) It's the revenue. They pause for ads. (laughs) (laughs) So Jason sits at the head of the table. Since Annabeth's fall, he's kind of become like a self-appointed leader. They don't even mention Percy. Like, Percy's not even considered to be the leader. Like, it's because Annabeth is gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's accurate. Yeah. Um, but Leo, because he knows his friend, he like, notices that Jason looks a bit strung out and stressed out. He's like, he doesn't look as perfect as he normally does. <laughs> Leo goes through and describes every single character who's sitting there, making you, reminding you it's a brand new book, new perspective for the first time. Also, just in case you haven't read, you know, the other four books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he, the only person who's missing at the table is Piper, who's currently at the helm with Coach. Nico tells them he talked to the dead last night. Just a casual thing to drop. <laughs> Leo mentions it. He's like, he talks about it like he just shot him a text. Like, he's just like, ah, yeah, you know, I shot him a text. The dead, are they texted back? <laughs> and basically, the dead confirmed the information Hazel was told by Hikate and explained that Akai's opposite giant was named Clytus. Clytus. Whatever you want to call it. Clytus? Clytus? You can't find him. He's <laughs> shadowed the boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Cotias. <laughs> Cotias. <laughs> oh no. Anyway, he's the giant wrapped into the shadow, and Leo then explains his dream, and um, Frank guesses that Cotias will be waiting for them at the door, and Hazel believes that the woman that Leo saw is her enemy, a witch that only Hazel can defeat. It looks like, so convenient for her. <laughs> Apparently, in the last war, Glatias was defeated with fire. Wait, okay, wait. I want to look up how to say this. I like Glatias. Glatias, Glatias. It sounds super different. How to pronounce dot com? <laughs> um, Clitus. It's <laughs> So, apparently in the last war, Clitus was defeated with fire, so everyone is hopeful that Leo will be able to do that, but Leo remembers his dream where his fire was useless. He doesn't mention it to the crew, though, because he's like, we're already down and feeling bad about ourselves. We don't need some more, like, um, like, unlucky news. As they discuss, by the way, the unluckiness of the month of July, which is like the seventh month, and seven is unlucky in Chinese culture, the ship lurches. Nico falls backwards and hits his head and passes out. God forbid. At least it's not Jason. I I know. The scene of camps change to, and a scary face pops up. It's like gold, crooked teeth, and it's like basically really close to whatever camera is on board and they see scenes from above deck where Piper is gagged and bound same with Coach. 
And basically, dwarves are stealing Leo's stuff and attacking the ship. So chapter 11, Nico is somewhat awake now, but Leo is running to go save his stuff. Basically, two demon monkey dwarves are attacking and stealing Leo's stuff. They're also dressed atrociously with like 12 watches, cowboy hat, anything shiny is it's on their body as much as possible. It's just so much going on. Dopey and sleepy really went off the rails. At least they're not grumpy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they have so many cowboy hats. You can't be grumpy in a cowboy hat. That is true. Actually, no, I think by definition, cowboys are supposed to be grumpy and mysterious, right? That's, I don't know. I feel like cowboys are fun. If you make it like campy, you know? Yeah, well, if you make it like, you know, hot pink cowboy hats, of course you have to be smiling. Yeah. Can't be grumpy in a hot pink cowboy hat. (laughs) But if you're in like a Western movie, you're definitely grumpy. Yeah, Clint Eastwood, he's a little bit grumpy, a little bit racist, all in one. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they set off some of Leo's experimental grenades, and Leo's basically rendered useless because Apollo's music is blasting, like, straight into his ears and making him feel real bad. Jason finally runs up on deck, and Leo finally starts feeling better, but the demon monkeys are gone, and so is Leo's Archimedes sphere, his tool belt, and Piper's dagger. Leo enlists Jason to control the winds, and they decide to go catch the monkeys. Leo and Jason run through the city looking for the monkeys, while Leo hyperfixates on opening Nemesis's fortune cookie. Remember, he's still feeling that that was the reason Annabeth and Percy fell down into Tartarus, and he's thinking that's why all this is happening, and he's like, everything bad is my fault. Typical (laughs) Leo inner dialogue. Mm Mm-hmm. They arrive at a statue of Neptune and see Cupid standing on either side of the statue, just chilling. It's a weird statue, and Leo's wondering if it's, like, mechanical, and he wonders aloud if it's, like, the monkey's secret lair. Right on cue, the monkeys show up laughing at him. They're flying above him. Also, these guys can fly. I don't know if I mentioned that. Why are they monkey dwarves? They're demon monkey dwarves. They're, Why they're... did the Greeks take so many things and make them into one? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more like the idea of flying monkeys. Yeah. Um, and also, I think that Leo is just describing them very poorly. Mm, probably. Probably. Yeah. Or very accurately. In the stages. <laughs> like, there's no word else to co- encompass whatever these are. <laughs> demon monkey dwarves. And they have names, but I'm not uh, with whatever. Oh. It's, it's uh... dopey and... It's dopey and sleepy. Or whatever. Yeah, sleepy. <laughs> uh, right on cue, the monkeys show up laughing at him. And at basically, they're laughing at the thought that they could have that kind of real estate to have a secret underground lair. They're like, that's too expensive, man. And they <laughs> taunt both of the boys with their stuff, even stealing Leo's zipper from his pants. So his pants basically uh, fall off his body. Uh-oh. They're about to fight when Leo realizes that this is actually all a trap and jumps out of the fountain. Unfortunately, Jason isn't paying attention, and Neptune's statue shoots golden cords and ties him up and hangs him upside down. Leo manages to get his sphere back from the dwarves, but they still have Piper's dagger and the other stuff, and they take off. He tries to go and free Jason, but Jason's like, go take, like, help me get my girlfriend's stuff back. I'll get myself out, and I'll meet you there. Do we know where in Europe they are? Um, they're in Italy somewhere. They're headed okay. to Venice next. Is that okay. all I really know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I might have skimmed that part. There's just a <laughs> lot of background. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> On Venice, Italy. Yeah. Yeah. And Venice. Okay. So chapter 12. So Leo follows the dwarves to what looks like medieval watchtowers. 
He doesn't have his tool belt. He doesn't have Jason to fly him up. He doesn't have any weapons. So instead he goes to the grocery store next door and he decides to purchase a bunch of chemicals because funnily enough, these demon monkey dwarves stole everything but Leo's money. They don't care about like dollar dollar bills. Nice. (laughs) Leo quickly cooks and combines his chemicals in the corner while keeping an eye on the watchtowers. He doesn't see the dwarves come out of it, so he knows they're probably inside. Oh, I just remembered. Sorry, I was looking at it because I was like, where are they? We literally talked about it. They're in the bologna place. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Bologna. 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 Anyways. (laughs) Okay, anyway. So Leo runs into the watchtower. He pays off a caretaker with some Italian junk food that he also bought at the grocery store to basically let, leave him alone and let him do whatever he wants in the watchtower. And he reaches the top. The dwarves think it's hilarious that Leo climbed all the way to the top of the tower for his tool belt and dagger. And they're like, what else can we make him climb? But Leo plays along and tells them they actually forgot to steal something shiny that he owns. He holds up his dry chemicals wrapped in aluminum foil, and as the dwarves come close to inspect it, he lights it on fire. Basically, he turns into a flash bomb, and then he has Archimedes' fear dispel fog into the room. While the dwarves are rendered useless, he ties them up and retrieves all of his stuff just in time for Jason to make this huge grand entrance with, like, thunder (laughs) flashing and flies into the room, but the dwarves are already tied up. Leo then starts going through all the treasures that the dwarves have as they scream and cry and try to make a deal for, like, oh, we'll give you 10% of the stuff if you let us go. Um, he finds an astrolobe, astrolabe, which is a navigation device that apparently Odysseus used, but it's apparently missing a crystal component that needs to be attached to it in order to be turned on again. He also finds a leather-bound book, the dwarves apparently had stolen it from some minor god in Venice that they won't say the name of because they keep bursting into tears, but they give them the address for it and beg Leo and Jason to not tell the minor god that they, they're they the ones who stole it. Basically, the dwarves are crying and being quite pathetic, and Leo feels quite bad for them. He never thought he would, but Jason suggests killing them and sending them back to Tartarus, But Leo has another plan. He says he will actually leave them all their treasure besides the seven stuff, the book, and the nav device. In return, he's actually going to send them to New York City to go harass, steal from, and just ruin the lives of the Roman army marching towards camp. Nice. Yep. Nice. Um, I would like to point out that Jason has won maybe three out of the 15 (laughs) fights he's participated in. I know, like, the whole Jason versus Percy thing. Like, come on. It's so stupid. Obviously Percy. (laughs) Well, it's also so funny because, like, Jason has... Even the fights that Jason has, like, quote-unquote won, it's basically he's been knocked out or rendered useless, and Mm -hmm. he's he's won through association. Yeah. (laughs) Also... Maybe Rick just does that because, like, Son of Zeus is too overpowered, and so he's like, I just gotta knock him out, otherwise they'll (laughs) win too easy. That is true, actually. That is, I mean, Jason can fly and shoot lightning. Like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) In theory, he should be winning all of these fights. So he's just passed out immediately. It's never like the (laughs) monsters have beat him. It's some random secondary object that happens to fall on him like the brick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, those are my chapters. We got a bit distracted, but they're quite short. (laughs) Good shenanigans. Um, random oh, appearance of dwarves by the giant. He's gonna come up again. 
We're not going to be able to get through it. No, we won't. When they're fighting him, we're just going to have to call him, like, Lord Darkness or something, or it's going to get real <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah. All right. So I got the Percy ones, which are also quite short, but are very jam-packed. So, chapters 13 through 16. Chapter 13. We left off with Percy and Annabeth following Kelly, our favorite Empusai, Empusa, whatever, from a distance <laughs> so they don't get recognized in the hopes that they'll lead them closer to the doors of death. Annabeth is looking a lot better after drinking the fire water, and Percy is feeling better too, and he's like, kind of looks at Annabeth and is like, she's hot. Like, are okay. we in Tartars? Yeah, we are, but she's she's great. And he thinks... So what if we're in Tartarus? So what if they stood a slim chance of surviving? He was so glad that they were together. He had the ridiculous urge to smile. Aw, what a simp. What a simp. He looks at her, she had like a few sips of water. It's like she basically (laughs) like, you know, maybe brushed off. She probably didn't even brush her hair, wipe off the dirt. And he's like, she's beautiful. I love him. (laughs) He's like, yeah, baby, get hydrated. I love a woman who's (laughs) hydrated. Yes, you're glowing, Annabeth. <laughs> glowing. <laughs> it's the Tartarus firewater glow. <laughs> you can sell it bottled for thousands of dollars. They should have brought it back. I know. They can be like, get a celebrity endorsement, make so much money, skincare. Yeah, Tartarus skincare line. Yeah. <laughs> then Pusa end up leading them to the edge of a cliff and just kind of hop over, which they're like half donkey, half like... They're also metallic. I don't know. It seems weird that they can do that easily. I feel like they'd be more unstable, but they're monsters, so they're kind of at home in this weird, weird landscape. But unfortunately, Annabeth and Percy can't get down quite as easily, and also Annabeth is still recovering from her injury. The fire water made it feel better, but she's still not 100% in her ankle. They can see the Fledgethon create a waterfall as it goes over the cliff and continues below, and things don't look too promising down there. There are monsters reforming everywhere, and Percy describes it as like blisters popping in the ground. So gross. Alas, Percy and Annabeth must follow along towards the doors of death, and so they attempt to descend. So chapter 14. They're making their way down the cliff and decide to stop for a bit and chat. (laughs) Well, Annabeth says she needs a break. And then they strategically drop some information here. Annabeth mentions that things could be much worse and brings up the River Leith and is like, at least we didn't fall into that river. And this leads Percy to recall his adventure in the Demigod Files that he went on with Nico and Talia, which we did a bonus episode on. And you should listen to it if you haven't, because it was I feel like it was a very unhinged one. Oh, yeah. In Nico, Talia, and Percy's venture to the underworld, just to recap that, they met a titan named Iapetus, and he had, and fighting him, he fell into the river Leith, um, and it causes people to forget everything. And after following, Iapetus woke up and was, like, suddenly very nice, didn't want to fight them, asked what his name is, and, like, Percy and Nico were just like, Bob. So that's what happened there, and Percy is reflecting on that memory, and this information is a surprise tool for later, because (laughs) they decide, like, time to keep moving after just having that little chat. They finally reach the bottom, and ahead of them stretches miles and miles of wasteland, with bubbling monster larvae. Ew. And to their right, I know, the Fledgethon splits into two. Like, everything down, like, the word Fledgethon just it's sounds so, so gross. gross. <laughs> sounds like the grossest Transformer or Pokemon you could think of. <laughs> yeah. 
When Percy touches the soil, he realizes that it also is not really dirt. It rather feels like flesh. (laughs) I know. And he looks up and thinks that the massive rocks in the distance look like teeth and the ground feels like skin. And he kind of feels like he's constantly being watched. It's like he's like inside of Tartarus. I mean, he is in Tartarus, but it's like he feels like Tartarus is like an alive entity, which it is. It is. And it's everywhere and it's watching him. Percy wishes that they had Frank who could just fly across the wasteland with them, but instead they must walk. But then something catches Percy's eye. They see He sees something move, and he's like, wait a second, where did Kelly and her gang go? But even though they lost track of them, it seems that the Ampusai did not lose track of Percy and Annabeth, and Kelly has found them. So chapter 15... Percy thinks to himself that they can't fight all four Ampusai and they can't call for help. So instead, they must do what Annabeth always does, talking and trickery. So he says, this is my favorite line, he says, so you're probably wondering what we're doing in Tartarus. (laughs) Like it's like record scratch. (laughs) I just love that that's what Percy's go-to is. And Kelly just is like, I don't really care. I just want to kill you. And internally, Percy's like, well, that's all I got. I tried. (laughs) But then Annabeth butts in and does her thing and says that Kelly really has no idea what's going on in the mortal world. She tells the Impusai that actually, above ground, Gaia is heading to defeat, and that just like Kruk, Kelly is leading her friends into another loss and putting her faith in someone who is lying and isn't doing as well as they make it seem like they are. Annabeth mentions that the Greek and Roman demigods have united also, which, like, she's not really lying. Some of them have united. Yeah, just Most of them two are of them. war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this causes the Ampusai to pause because that's, like, a big threat to them. Except not Kelly. Kelly's still pissed. She also brings up how Ampusai are servants of Hakadi, and Hakadi is on their side now. So if they hurt Percy and Annabeth, they'll be in trouble. But Kelly really doesn't care. Like, she has such a vendetta against Percy and Annabeth, and she threatens to kill Annabeth, which springs Percy into action to attack her, which, as as he mentioned before, it is a losing battle. But then a huge shadow falls across them, and a titan jumps onto the field. So there's that surprise tool from earlier. <laughs> Chapter 16. It's Bob, the titan, formerly known as Iapetus, here to stomp Kelly flat. Bob is described as... 10 feet tall with wild silver Einstein hair, pure silver eyes, and muscular arms protruding from a ripped up blue janitor's uniform. And I was like, does Percy think Bob is hot? Kind of sounds hot. You know, like yeah, very, is like... Bob hot? <laughs> That's a question we must ask and we must answer. <laughs> Polling we everyone. Must. I mean, is it's a Bob little weird because he acts like a little younger than his age, but he is from the dawn of time. So I feel like it's a fair question. Yeah. You know? You know. I think yeah, we're actually yeah. asking I think Percy finds him hot? hot. Yeah. Is Iapetus hot? I think that's more of a, like, a... Is, feels less yes, icky. Yeah. yeah. Because Bob is, like, reborn Iapetus. Yeah. But Iapetus wouldn't be wearing the ripped-up blue janitor's uniform. Hmm. What hmm. would Iapetus wear? A suit? What would he wear? Hmm. Hockey <laughs> <his> jersey? wardrobe. <laughs> Probably. Hmm. Yeah, he was a jock. Yeah, pink cowboy hat? <laughs> he... Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I hope so. So Bob uses his broomstick like a weapon and sweeps all of the monsters away and then turns to Percy and Annabeth and is like, Percy, you called for me when Percy meant, which is like when Percy mentioned his name once before when him and Annabeth were reflecting on this memory and Annabeth is like, what did you do? What did you guys rename him as? And Percy's like, Bob, haha. And then I guess that was what summoned him. 
Bob is kind of like a big pure baby. Like he kind of reminds me of book two Tyson when we first met Tyson Mm -hmm. and even kind of current Tyson who may be like a war general, but also (laughs) is still just a peanut butter loving Peanut Baby. butter living little brother, yeah. Yeah, he just committed some murders. Here. Yeah, just gonna do <laughs> a little bit of murder on the side. And so Bob is here to help Percy. He's been spending his time as a janitor in Hades' palace, where they left him, but then he heard Percy say his name and came to help. He tells them that they have to get a move on, but Bob knows a way. Like, he knows his way around Tartarus, I guess. And he says that they will have, quote, fun, <laughs> because they're friends. <laughs> And so this just, like, really came out of nowhere. It's, uh, what's the word? The deus ex machina. When something comes and, like, saves you when you think you're about to die. Is that what it's called? I thought it was just a movie about robots. (laughs) No, that's what it's called. I learned it from rereading Series of Unfortunate Events. Oh, man. It was like an entire book that was really drilled into my mind. <laughs> forgot how much those books taught me words that I apparently forgot afterwards. <laughs> well, those books are kind of, they're nice because he likes to treat his audience who are children like they're smarter than they probably yes. are. And yes. then it's automatically what makes you learn new words because why not? Whereas these books t- teach us Clidius. <laughs> <laughs> The new vocab word. New vocab word. And Bologna. Bologna. Two vocab words this time. Important vocab word. (laughs) Definitely sprinkled in everyday conversation. God, can you imagine how annoying it would be, though, to start calling, like, the meat Bologna? Be like, actually, it's Bologna. (laughs) It's from the province of Bologna. It's Italian. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, this stuff that's clearly processed in the U.S. (laughs) That's not So much plastic around it. yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I only had one note for this. I thought that it was cool how Percy is super reflective in all these chapters. Like, he thinks about when when they're, like, looking at the landscape, he thinks about the flying shoes Luke gave him that could have pulled him into Tartarus. Because Annabeth is like, wish we had Luke's shoes. And Percy's like, I don't. Those tried to pull <laughs> Grover into Tartarus. He also thinks about Tantalus's punishment when he's, like, feeling really hungry and thinks about how Tantalus felt having food always just out of reach. And then he thinks about his Bob adventure. So there's just a lot of nice callbacks to PJO that, I mean, we've been getting them in the other ones, but it's it, there was just a lot in this one and it was fun because they were little things that I think we probably also have kind of forgotten about. So it was nice to see. I think it's also fun because like he's basically saying, hey, look, Percy's growing as a person. He actually retains information about mythology that can be used for future uses. Unlike in PJO, where he remember them and then dump them from memory. Yeah. I did think it was him. interesting when they brought up Luke's shoes that like Annabeth was still very much like like Percy saying he wishes they could fly and Annabeth is like remember Luke's shoes I wonder if they're still down here somewhere and like Percy like Annabeth still when they bring up Luke still kind of talks about him in a more positive like Percy thinks of the shoes and is like yeah those shoes tried to murder us and is like no thanks I don't need those and it's interesting how they still I feel like as a couple, they still haven't really talked about Luke. No, and I think it makes it a bit difficult for Annabeth mm-hmm. to fully be like, yeah, he was overall a villain because he got to have a hero's ending. Yeah. And that also saves 
that conversation where like Percy overall thinks that Luke was a bad guy, but he yeah. did the right thing in the end. Where Annabeth was like, he was good all along. He just yeah. got lost a little. And Annabeth thinks that you know, like like book one, Luke was good, just lost, and like he wasn't yet possessed by Kronos and stuff. So like when he gave Percy the shoes, Annabeth is like, oh, he he meant well. Like yeah, I don't he know. didn't know better. <laughs> and Percy's like, no, he did not. I don't want those shoes down here. It is also <laughs> they're gonna so drag me deeper in a Tartarus. <laughs> it's also interesting because you have like this you know, very awesome female character, you know, having that flaw of, like, her hero, who was Luke, Mm -hmm. um, was actually manipulated by another, I guess not woman, but, like, woman character in Pusai, who, like, have charm-speak ability, and that's the reason Mm -hmm. that he committed, you know, war crimes. Yeah. (laughs) And he wouldn't have done that, and then when he became Kronos, it's not Luke anymore, so the crimes he committed as Kronos was because of that influence, not Luke. So Luke is spared because he has all these influences. Mm-hmm. The locus of control is very shifted in Annabeth's mind. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, because in the last Annabeth one was when she brought up how she thought that Kelly was like responsible for making Luke bad in part. Yeah. I feel like the tar. I think one of the reasons why people love the Tartars chapters so much, like they're obviously very angsty and emotional and stressful to read and you get so invested but there's also so many callbacks to pjo with like some of the monsters they find and the things they're reflecting on because you know like percy and annabeth are obviously going to be comparing these trials to the trials that they faced when they were younger and how much harder they've gotten you know how they thought this one thing was really hard and now they're in literal hell together yeah I think it's also nice because obviously in PJO we saw everything from Percy's perspective and now you get firsthand Annabeth's perspective and it's a lot different than what we would expect. Mm-hmm. Because we've taken what Percy believes to be as fact because he's yeah. a narrator. And so Annabeth explaining things and her perception of Luke. Obviously I still think Percy's perception is correct mm-hmm. in that. But it, it just kind of threw me off because I was like, it's so little, it's so subtle that you're just kind of like, oh yeah. You know, it's, like, hard to see your hero fall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And clearly that she's still processing that, and, like, they are probably still not on the same page about that and clearly haven't really talked about it. And I don't think it's ever really talked about in these books. I mean, I think because Luke is dead, it's something that kind yeah. of saves their relationship, too, because it's not going to come yeah. up very much. And even if it does, like, Percy's probably going to speak about it a little bit more respectfully than he would if, like, Luke was on yeah. trial. You know? It's not like they have to, like, go to Uncle Luke's for dinner or something. I know. <laughs> or, like, he's hanging around and Percy's feeling jealous, but also yeah. really uncomfortable because he was quite literally, you know, evil and killed other demigods. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a it's an easy out, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's interesting. It's fun. I'm excited to get more callbacks in the next few chapters. Me too. Percy and Annabeth. And these chapters are so fast, so I have a feeling that we're going to get through them quite quickly, and these episodes are going to be a bit shorter, but I think it'll give us a bit of time to talk more about, like, old stories and just kind of get into more lightning bolt round questions, too. Yeah, for sure. And I think as we go on, there's, like, certain chunks that have really big things that happen, like the part with, like, Cupid, and I think it's a Jason chapter, that's kind of, like, a big reveal and, like, the Leo and Calypso stuff is, like, a bit, like, a lot happens in four chapters. So there's mm-hmm. definitely, like, standout ones that are randomly be super long and in-depth. <laughs> okay. 
You ready to do the lightning bolt questions? Yes, I am. So we have one from Lulu who emailed this in. You're falling to Tartarus. Who are you with and what would you do? Oh, God. I, I really love the amount of people who have asked us who we would fall. Either we, who would we fall for in Tartarus mm-hmm. or like if we would fall in Tartarus. Like all of these questions, I love them because it's very like introspective and kind of very scary to think about because it's like who do you love that much and it's nice to be like yeah, yeah. I love people actually yeah in it theory nice. I don't know about practice I don't know how brave I am in actual practice right like in the yeah. actual moment what would I do I don't yeah. know yeah I know so many people are invested in that I'm like damn y'all <laughs> <laughs> hmm What would I do is also really holding me up. I'm like, for nine days, what do you do? Pull out some cards? I don't know. <laughs> like, that's a long fall. I know. What do you do? How, if you pee, you, you have to pee <laughs> and you have to poop, right? Obviously, nine days, you got to do it. I mean, the velocity <laughs> falls. Can you imagine someone just saying, like, at that moment, like, skydiving, they're, they hit a different terminal velocity than you, and they're above you when you start peeing? Like, it's just, like, a fucking <gasps> nightmare situation. Oh, that's why you've got to hold on to them. Whoever down. the person you're with, like, whoever it is, you have to hold on to them. Because, mm. like, you know, if you're different weights also, like, one of you will be falling faster, and that would be awkward. What if, yeah, you just want to stay together. Yeah. I definitely hold on to the other person. Try not to be. <laughs> <laughs> also starving, you know? Yeah, they're yeah. so hungry. I mean, I don't know that it was actually nine days. I think that was just in that poem because I feel yeah. like oh, we need more information. Where did you guys pee? <laughs> I know. I need, like, I need, uh, did you guys starve? Were you thirsty? I mean, they Clearly, were Clearly, because they drank fire water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my who are you with this bit you get an easy out, you're married. Yeah, true. I, I can yeah. I'll be with I'll be with Mike. I would definitely need to hold on though, because he's much heavier than me. <laughs> I don't know who I would be with. I just like I'm, I'm thinking who I travel well with. <laughs> who would you travel well down into Tartarus? You know. Um uh, I have a really good friend, Victoria, and she and I tend mm. to be on the same page on a lot mm-hmm. of things. She's also mm-hmm. someone who's very much, like, gets things done. She's a doctor. Mm-hmm. so like, I can see her. She would definitely get you out of Tartarus. Yeah, she would take charge. Yeah. She'd make a plan. Um, I think that would really work. And we also, we hang out. Like, we talk for hours on the phone. So I think that mm-hmm. we could chat, which would be nice. But I <laughs> have a feeling talk. after nine days, we end up playing, like, categories or something. That's a fun one. Yeah. That's honestly, that's actually my favorite board game. It's a fun one. It's very yeah. creative. Yeah. Yeah. I like getting I the double charades words. is hard. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're falling. <laughs> yeah. You have to do something verbal. You can't play heads yeah. up. You don't have <laughs> your phone. <laughs> you can't do charades because you're falling. You have to yeah, do you only verbal. have like the one free hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you could do like a 20 questions. I would probably do that actually. They can't hear each other, though, can they? That's the oh, whole point. That's a pr- problem. So for nine days, you just have to, like... <laughs> Make faces on each other. I know, physically be next to each other, but not speak. That's just too <laughs> intimate for me. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to ask. Nine yeah. days. Oof. Nine days. Oof. Oh, that's a fun one. I never yeah. thought about what I would do while I falling. I did either. 
That's a good one. I don't know. I definitely would see what I could do with the velocity. Like, if I could just, like, do, like, like if I angle my body different, will I go faster? If I go flat, Mm. will I, like, see if I could parachute with my clothes? Just mess around. Yeah, I think I would definitely talk to myself a lot, you know, even if the other person can't hear me, and I would would (laughs) be singing, probably. Like, it would be a little bit insane. (laughs) They'd probably lie and say they didn't hear me. Just to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. Protect my my dignity, whatever's left of it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, One of the questions I came up with is if you could call for help from like one mythology creature, figure, character when you're in Tartarus, who would you call for? I know you would call for the Minotaur. Oh my god. I would, wouldn't I? You, See, you know, I thought of that, and then I was like, I, I really don't want to, I don't want to go too hard on the Minotaur thing. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I don't want to overdo this joke, you know? <laughs> but like, I feel like he cares for me. Shut up. <laughs> oh, man. Um, maybe Medusa? Someone who I can, Ooh. like, speak to, but is also extremely powerful. In this theory oh, that's that they can help one. me, right? Yeah. Yeah. My thought was, like, Cerberus, because he's already, <gasps> yeah. he's already, like, partway down. Like, he's already in Hades, so he's kind of used to the climate. Yeah. And I could ride on his back. You could just take me back to Hades, like, to the underworld. Yeah, that's fine. That's good yeah. enough. And we it's know better that than he's a good boy, because we've, we've read that yeah. in, the, what was that, the second book? Or the first the book. first book, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's a good one. I like that a lot. Thank you so yeah. much. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, Mrs. O'Leary. And then, but Percy's whole thing was like, would she even hear me here? I don't want to make her come here. And I yeah, agree, I wouldn't want to do that to her. Um, my other question's also kind of about a monster. So, like, I was thinking about how Kelly is, like, Percy's long-standing enemy, but not, like, a big, like, not, like, a boss enemy. Mm. She's just kind of an annoying enemy. So I'm thinking, like, which monster would be you're the one that would annoy you the most and probably follow you around annoying you Mm. from any of the books yeah i'm like trying to think there's so many monsters right that are like side characters but how like which one would be annoying enough to like just like really get under my skin right because like most of the women monsters don't annoy me i think they're cool well that's exactly what i was thinking is like kelly is the (laughs) most annoying because she's also manifestation of Percy's like bully. She's a cheerleader. Yeah. From mm-hmm. his high school. So I was like, I'm imagining like a tech bro who just is like also <laughs> some kind of monster and he just follows me around every time I change my career or whatever I do. And he's just so annoying. Have any of them been like tech bros? No, because it's Percy. So no. they're all high school cheerleaders. Yeah. Like, yeah. Nothing yeah. he's afraid of is women. So like. <laughs> But he also loves he loves also, scary women at the same time. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary balance, but he tries yeah. to walk that line. Yeah, oh, Percy. So I would, I don't know, I guess. Because before you explained, like, it's not a big boss, I was actually going to be like Luke. If Luke had left, oh, mm. and mm-hmm. before he became Crook, I know he's like the big mm. boss, but the idea of this frat boy who's like full of himself and just angry all the time, just yes. constantly whining and preaching would be the most annoying yeah. 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 Pre Kronos. Pre Kronos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just like constantly just like looking more and more like a wasp, just, you know, for no reason. Even though he's yeah. supposed to be a surf surfer dude. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, I think about a specific enemy though. Right. 
I was thinking one that came to mind, I just was thinking back on the books, is from the first book, the mattress guy, Krusty. (laughs) I was like, he didn't even, like, annoy me that much, but I feel like he would be an annoying one to just pop up in all your battles and be like, you want to buy a mattress? (laughs) (laughs) It's a waterbed. Come join. I would be like, no, and kill him. And then he'd show up again with, like, a new type of mattress and be like... (laughs) He's, like, more comical at that point than anything else. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good one. Yeah, I mean, the comical, like, the little wheat creatures that just, like, Oh, keep, yeah. You can't kill them because they keep turning into grain and they just, like, yeah. have teeth and are really scary looking. And they, like, really love cereal. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. That'd be good. <laughs> love it. Okay, that's all of them. Yeah, so next time we're going into chapter 17 through 24, so we're going to get deeper into Tartarus and have more shenanigans. If you are interested in supporting us, you can find us on Patreon, and that link will be in the episode description, as well as a link to send us an audio message if you have any lightning bolts that are specific to House of Hades, get them in as early as possible, even if you have any. If you have any for any of the other books too, feel free to send them in. Yeah, we'd love to hear you. Our socials are at Camp Pod. Our email is camphathpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening to us. But only if you rate positively. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.